Welcome to WKXL in the morning. I'm your host, AJ Kirstead. Time for our weekly segment with the New Hampshire Bulletin. More from them at NewHampshireBulletin.com. Uh, New Hampshire Bulletin on Facebook and NH Bulletin News on Twitter. Definitely give them a follow. This week we have reporter Ethan DeWitt. Welcome back to the show. Glad to be back. So my Twitters have been uh, just on fire this week with bail reform and this parental rights and education bill. Uh, we're going to talk about both those things today, but let's start off with uh, the parental rights bill. What uh, what did this begin as and what did it kind of morph into? Sure. So it started off as an enumeration of a number of um, rights or uh, kind of privileges or, or however you want to look at them that parents have in schools. A lot of them they have already, and it was meant as a kind of um, a, a bill that would bring them all under one roof so that parents would see that they have certain rights. So some of them are, would be, you know, reviewing school curricula um, ahead of, a, you know, a, a certain class or withdrawing their child from instruction that they object to and providing an alternative instruction, if it might, maybe a movie that they don't want their child uh, to be viewing. Um, th- those are, rights actually exist right now in state statute. Um, and it included a few, the, the House version of the bill included a few others. There was some um, additional punishment that was attached to teachers uh, that did not um, that a- attempted to encourage or coerce the student from withholding information, um, and so there were some some provisions that were new. Um, a lot of them, as I said, were already existing, and they and the the bill was meant to bring them all under one roof. Some of those provisions had drawn concern um, from uh, both uh, child advocates, uh, DCYF. Um, and and school counselors who had said that this would put counselors in a tough position of, over deciding whether they would face discipline if they didn't divulge certain things to parents um, or if they were seen as uh, as um, co- coercing or encouraging a student to keep something from their parents. But in the, for the most part, uh, it was dealing with kind of these rights. When it got over to the Senate, it, it the Senate added an amendment at the end of April that was really the flashpoint over the last few weeks and the reason why this bill became especially controversial uh, and is, I think, a, a reason why you saw it fail today in the House. Yeah, there was a ton of concern, especially around uh... – there, there's all sorts of political stuff on both sides of it when it for sure on one side uh, I can understand the ethical quandary of um, parents needing to be informed of what's going on with their children but as you said there's there's already laws around that and my conversations with um, NEA New Hampshire chapter president uh, Megan Tuttle on this she, she even outlined that and saw rooms that basically it's down to districts to improve when it comes to really getting outreach it's partially it's technological schools only have so many so much of a budget to be able to get their their syllabus and everything out there that's required uh, but it, it, a lot of uh, LGBTQ uh, rights activists were really concerned that this was going to cause an unsafe environment for children that are as they develop uh, over the years may be part of one of these communities and realize it and there was fear about um, it being a problem for families or not being the right time for the child to uh, discuss with their family. 
Yeah, that was uh, the piece that was added. So I should say the, the main part that was added by the Senate, and this was again in late April, so fairly late in the legislative process, um, was a requirement that schools and school officials notify parents promptly anytime the school took action that related to a number of categories, and I can read them here. So they included student conduct, truancy, dress code violations, sexual harassment, bullying, hazing, behavior management and intervention, substance use, suicide prevention, disability accommodation, special meals prescription, and one other category, which was gender expression or identity. Uh, and so th this was that was the, the one phrase in here that um, became very controversial because the implication was that anytime a, a school took action around that, um, the, the parents would be told whether or not the student wanted to um, tell the parents yet. And what came up in debate today, this has been debated for weeks. Um, as you've noted, there have been a lot of LGBTQ advocates, civil rights advocates, uh, teachers unions who have come out uh, opposing it. Then there's Republicans who have said that this is just a, a you know, parental right that a lot of parents are accepting of LGBTQ kids, but they want to be informed. Um, one of the big debates today, which I thought was interesting, was whether or not the bill uh, effectively outs students. That's what has been the primary criticism of the, especially this late iteration of the bill, that by informing parents of some of these decisions, you might have a student who's um, struggling with their gender identity uh, and looking for a confidential conversation, and that conversation might be reported. Now, I should note the Attorney General, um, the Attorney General's Office of New Hampshire looked at this and said that yes, this would, this bill would um, effectively force schools to out children. And because of that, it would violate the 2018 um, gender identity protections that the state passed into its anti-discrimination law. So the attorney general's office actually wrote a letter to the committee that was hearing this, raising those concerns, saying that this could there could be um, legal violations and that there could be liability for schools uh, who that try to enforce this or for the state. Um, so that those concerns were brought up. What was debated today, uh, re uh, Republican supporters were objecting to the idea that this was out students. And they were saying that this only covers actions that the, that the school takes and not necessarily conversations. And they were saying that a, a, a school counselor could still have a confidential conversation and they would not need to necessarily report it. The issue is that it is a gray line between what is action and what is conversation, uh, especially when it comes to things like gender identity, where a child may have a different different name that they use in school. They may have different pronouns that they use in school. Um, and it seems to be that this bill, if the school were to make a, a policy choice, you could look at it as a policy choice, or you could look at it as on, an on-the-fly decision to say, okay, this student wants to use they, them pronouns or, or um, you know, she pronouns uh, or change their name, that that would be an action and that under this new law that would have to be notified to parents. Um, and that is, I think, uh, the area that uh, advocates, LGBTQ advocates were most concerned about. Yeah. But uh, as you can see, there's a lot of uh, nuance and debate about it. Um, I think that uh, the, it was, a lot of opposition uh, in the last few weeks from a lot of different groups, um, from the ACLU, again, to teachers unions, to school counselors, um, to mental health professionals, and uh, they, it all kind of coalesced. And I think it explains a little bit about the vote that we saw today in which we saw 13 Republicans break with their party 
and vote against passing this. Yeah, it seems like like I've got opinions on the on this matter entirely as a parent. Obviously, maybe I'll do a New England take episode on it uh, later next month or something when I've I've got a free slot. Because uh, I I think there's a lot of nuance for sure, like you said, when it, and these advocates have all said to it. It seems to me politically that. It's another example of the Republicans just trying to get everything they possibly can squeezed into whatever way they can, like we saw last year with the uh, the budget bill, where they, they just kept cramming more and more into it, and which in turn looks like backfired on them in this situation. Yeah, I think that's, that's a really astute point, because I, I think, I, I do wonder how the bill would have fared uh, if they hadn't added this last minute amendment to it. There were plenty of things there that, again, like I said, you know, parents objecting to materials can withdraw kids from class. Again, these things are already in statute, but this would sort of fortify that and also create professional consequences for um, schools that didn't allow prompt uh, release of records, for instance, where parents could look at records. I think that those provisions, they still had uh, criticism as well, just to be clear, um, Mm -hmm. throughout the process. But I do wonder if the 13 Republicans that peeled away and some of the drama that we saw last week when it was being negotiated, where you had the chairwoman of the entire negotiating committee, the committee of conference um, being removed by the speaker in order to get an outcome in favor of the bill after the bill had seemed all but dead. That all happened last week. I think if, if this last minute Senate amendment to your point uh, had not been introduced, it was a possibility it would have passed. Um, but again, this gender identity question, which is, I should say, being litigated right now uh, in the state uh, is, you know, that kind of added a different spin to this that um, allowed act- advocates to mobilize against it. And you had Republicans, uh, uh, you know, like I said, like like Representative Kim Rice, who had changed, you know, who had, who had been in favor of the bill originally and then changed their position once this was added in. Um, you know, I should also note that one of the attorneys who's involved in some of these um, lawsuits against schools for their policies of of withholding information uh, from parents is actually the Senate counsel, uh, Rich Lehman. Uh, and one of the law- Senate lawmakers said that the amendment um, has largely been originated from him, um, spoke about this in a hearing. So that that's a little bit of the context here too, that there, you have these legal fights. Those legal fights are going to continue even with this bill now being dead. Um, but there is a bit of a, a, a confluence of uh, kind of motivations and factors here. Yeah, as much as I think there should be a lot of, I think there should in general be more communication between the schools and parents, generally speaking. But I mean, this is such a nuanced subject that it really, like, this is a prime example of we need to take the time to actually think through the specifics of of what what this bill would entail because there, there's so much to it. And I'm sure many on the left probably don't want this conversation to be happening at the state level at all as we saw with the abortion issues this it's very much uh, deja vu it seems like when it comes to how it sh- how the different parties think it should be handled suddenly the democrats are libertarian on the, on the situation and the republicans yeah. are going conservative i think well what's interesting um it, a lot of this you know there's questions about local control and sc- how much sc- power schools have what where the conversation has shifted is local control has now been changed uh the arguments are now about the individual and so um conservatives in favor of this bill point to parents as local control and less towns and schools um you know in the past that might have been what you looked at local control as the state staying out of the affairs of towns and schools and the towns and schools getting to set their own policies. But what we've seen recently is 
the uh, kind of an inversion of that where the state steps in to to limit towns and schools, or at least bills are proposed in which the state steps in to limit towns and schools in order to give parents the maximal, maximum amount of power. Um, and so it, it, it's, a, it, I, it's, a very, it's a big shift and you've seen it with um, certain bills that would attempt to ban mask mandates. Um, the governor uh, uh, vetoed that bill. Um, um, earlier, uh, about a week or so ago, but it was a bill that made it to his desk. And so you're seeing this this kind of different definition of what local control is. So I want to leave enough time here to talk about the bail reform bill. Earlier this week on the New England Take, I, which you can check out at nhtalkradio.com on demand, I had uh, Ross Conley from Americans for Prosperity in New Hampshire and Buzz Schur, who's a professor over at the University of New Hampshire Franklin Pierce School of Law and is on the Portsmouth Police Commission, to opposite ends of the spectrum agreeing on this and ultimately worked to produce the the bail reform bill back in 2017 or 2018 i think it's probably both those two years for all the the legislation that's currently in effect on it uh, but ever since the first of the year there's been all sorts of republican uh, bills to try and um, change or undo the work that was done on it and it looks like it was uh, voted on today correct uh, or, yes. Sorry, this will be Thursday, the day we're recording this. You're listening to this on Friday. So yesterday for you listeners. Correct. Yeah. So this bill took a very strange turn. Uh, essentially, this had been negotiated last week. There were pretty big uh, differences between the House version and the Senate version, uh, and they were trying to cobble those together. Um, and in doing so, they left in some ambiguous language that opponents of the of the bill said would have made the 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 final result much worse. And what happened to on Thursday today, uh, as I'm speaking to you, was that the Senate Majority Leader Jeb Bradley, who's been um, a, a big um, you know he's he's, he's been the, the biggest proponent of paring back the bail reform bill uh, law in 2018. He actually went on the Senate floor today. And even though he had been supportive of the bill and the compromise bill, realized that there were flaws to it and realized that it was too late in the legislative process to amend those flaws and recommended that the bill be tabled and the Senate unanimously did so. So um, it was it's kind of hard to know how it would have gone in the House if it weren't tabled. It was tabled on, you could argue, a technicality, but it, the the concerns that were raised by Americans for Prosperity and the ACLU and some other um, groups that have been watching this clearly got through to Bradley. Um, this The final version of the bill um, would have required, it would have mostly uh, been focused on people who are out on bail and it would have required that if you are out on bail because you've been charged with a felony and then you're arrested for a different crime, you must automatically serve uh, in uh, up to 24 hours in in uh, jail while you wait for a judge to um, have your arraignment. It would take the bail commissioners out of it. And it also applied to misdemeanors. So a class A or a class B misdemeanor, um, if you were charged twice with misdemeanors, um, 
and you were arrested again, then the bill um, would have required you to, to be behind bars, even if it were a class B misdemeanor. The reason that's significant is that class B misdemeanors themselves do not actually result in jail time. Class B misdemeanors, the maximum punishment you can get if you're convicted of them is about a hundred, uh, sorry, $1,200 in, in fines, but no jail time. And so this would in, introduce jail time if you had been charged previously. One of the snags was that the bill that that they had intended to pass last week would have made it so that you would have to be out on bail and have been charged twice. And if you were arrested and had already been charged twice and you were on bail, then you would go to jail. But they forgot to add those words. And so effectively, the language, it's kind of you know ambiguous, but it could be read to mean that if you had ever been charged and not necessarily convicted, but charged twice in your in your entire life with class B misdemeanors, which range from, you know, shoplifting to um, vandalism, uh, you know, graffiti would count. Um, that if you've been charged twice, you would then have to go to jail if you were arrested later on in life. So that was a big gaping hole that advocates had been, or sorry, I should say opponents of the yes. of the bill had been flagging. And I think it was a big reason why Bradley decided to pull out. As, as uh, much as sometimes I go, we need less lawyers and we need some uh, people that work in the field and such to do uh, to, to serve in uh, government jobs. That This is a prime example of why it's like, uh, you probably should have a lawyer look at that first because they're, they're going to punch holes in this and this is going to end up going to the Supreme Court. And I, I, don't, I don't think McDonald would, uh, Justice McDonald would, would uh, let that fly ultimately. They'd probably end up... Uh, getting getting uh getting through the ringer pretty quick yeah well there were plenty of lawyers actually looking over this but it was very rushed there was hard deadlines and um the way it works you have these committees of conference and they're meant to cobble out um disagreements between the house and the senate get to a compromise but they have until technically 4 p.m on thursday this would be last thursday so uh the 19th uh may 19th what happened is the Senate president actually came in and this is a legislative maneuver he can do. He stopped the clock where he effectively declared that it wasn't yet for. Um, and by doing that, bought them a few more minutes to try to cobble out the agreement. The issue is that in their rush, they didn't notice some of these things. And, you know, whatever you think of the actual bill, even Bradley, the strongest proponent of it, said that, well, it, I, we can't do anything about it and it's flawed. What's interesting is when I talked to House members, um, they didn't always all agree that it was flawed and they thought that uh you know looking at the legislative intent would have made it clear what they meant and it could have been amended afterward but bradley clearly uh did not have confidence in the bill and and pulled his support crazy time so we'll have to wait in the next uh cycle here with with uh what the future attacks are on on this legislation i mean because they're based they're wrapped up for this session correct Yes, this this was the end. They could hold a special session uh, if if but you know they would they would. Yes, this is effectively the end of the calendar. And when and does so, it uh, start back up again for them? Well, so bill filing starts in the fall, and uh, the governor has now vowed to veto um, you know at, at least uh, the redistricting maps, um, and so and he has already vetoed something else. So there will be a veto day. Um, and that will happen usually in September, right around the peak of election season. And they come back um, for one day and they take up the governor's videos and see if they can override them. 
Ethan, it's been five months of this. What are we going to talk about in three weeks? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I would say just walking up and down Concord, I think people are pretty ready for this all to be over. You're listening to WKXL in the morning. I'm your host, AJ Kirstead. Thank you to Ethan DeWitt, reporter for the New Hampshire Bulletin, New Hampshire Bulletin and New Hampshire Bulletin.com to get their latest articles and follow them on social media. Find Ethan on Twitter. He's always posting over there, too, with his articles. Appreciate it. Appreciate you joining me. Thanks for having me on, as always. It's WKXL in the morning. We'll be right back after this.